0: You're listening to Leading and Living with Impact and Influence, where we walk with leaders to live a life of exceptional impact, influence, and faith. All right, Luke, man, I'm, I'm anxious to dive into, uh, well, I'm, I'm anxious to dive into real estate. I'm anxious to see how you replaced yourself. Let's, we're going to talk negotiations today. We're going to talk new business, new business structure. Uh, But give us a quick background. Uh, You have done something pretty amazing uh, by the time you turned 40. And I think our audience would really, really uh, love to hear about this. Sure. So
1: I actually had set a goal a while back and it was just kind of one of those, you know, numbers sound good together kind of thing. So I had set a goal that I wanted to purchase 40 rental properties by the time I turned 40 or 40 investment properties. Uh Um, and actually just closed on number 40, about three and a half months ago. And I turned 40 in (laughs) looking at today about three and a half weeks. So I just barely squeaked in under the wire there. (laughs)
0: Well, there's a lot of questions I have for that because excuse me, first of all, that's a lot of money to invest And I think the first thing is a lot of people go, well, so obviously you maybe did some creative things in order to get there. Okay. Very,
1: very creative. So I I can tell you kind of how, how I got started. One was pretty easy, right? So my wife and I, we, we were newly married, um, living in Denver at the time, um, because we had, after we finished college, we got married. I graduated on the 18th of December and we just moved from Kentucky to Denver. Uh, we were there on January 2nd, a couple okay. of weeks after college, we had no jobs, no money, no place to live, just our stuff in a trailer. And we were like, let's just try something new, <laughs> uh, lived there for 10 years. It was absolutely amazing. But we, um, we built our first house in 2006. So kind of right at the height of the market. Oh yeah. And, um, you know, as the market started to crash, we were fortunate enough that we could carry two notes mm-hmm. and it was a good time to upgrade because everything was on sale, obviously, yeah. We kept our first property as a, as a rental property and kept it for years and years, even after moving back to Kentucky. And um, But I was considering buying investment property number two, and I was in the corporate world at the time. I was in strategic marketing and data analytics, and I had a, a colleague there that I was working with, and we were both interested in real estate investing. And so we were just talking and we were like, hey, there's this up and coming area of town we think's going to be hot, but we can find like an old kind of dilapidated little shotgun house. Mm-hmm. We could pay about 20000 for it. We can buy it in cash Whoa. and fix it up, kind of do our own sweat equity, and then just kind of do that burb method. The, yeah. You know, the buy, rehab, yeah. rent, refinance, repeat. Yeah. Um, so that was the plan, right? And so we're searching for this $20,000 property. <laughs> <Yeah>. And <laughs> as we're looking for the right one, just serendipity happens to you know kind of kind of fall through he's at dinner with his girlfriend's parents and they have some friends that are there and they're kind of talking about what do you do what are you interested in and he brings up real estate investing and they said well interesting enough we own a lot of rental properties and we're looking to retire and move it out. So we'd like to sell you our portfolio. No So way. we went from trying to buy one property for $20,000 to 13, all of a sudden falling in our lap.
0: Oh my gosh. And
1: we knew it was a phenomenal deal, but we had no idea what in the world we were doing. Yeah. We didn't know how to finance it. We didn't have the money for it. We didn't know how to manage that kind of property. We didn't know anything about anything. Um, all we knew was that it was a good deal. And so we went out and we found people that had done it before. And we just started asking questions, hmm. you know, how did you build your portfolio? what did you do? How did you make contacts? Who did you meet um, and then creatively, because even after we we kind of got the answers, we took on another partner to help split the cost and the workload. Mm-hmm. we still' we still didn't have enough for the down payment yeah um and so I I came up with this idea kind of in the 11th hour as I went to the the partner that we took on and I said, hey, if you agree to allow us to continue to be a 50-50 partner, but you make up the difference that we're short, we'll manage the property for free on a set schedule until that difference is paid off. Mm. And it, it worked out really, really well because it allowed us to be 50-50 partners in this property. Mm-hmm. It allowed us to you know, participate in all of that equity and upside. Um, and it also allowed us as we manage those properties over the next several months, we learned so much because we, like I said, we didn't know anything about anything. Yeah. We had no idea what we were doing, but all of a sudden you're managing 13 apartments with a lot of college students. Oh boy. You start to learn things pretty quick. Right. Um, and so it's, it just gradually grew from there. We kind of took, we took that piece of it. We very quickly paid off our initial investment that we were short. Um, we did a refinance on those to buy some additional properties, sold a few, picked up another package, and then have just been gradually trading up and down for the last, I think we started that in twenty spring of 2016
0: is when we bought that first. Wow. How many properties have you sold over the years in order to get to 40?
1: 27. Wow. Maybe. Okay. All right. So, I mean, it, there's a lot mm-hmm. of trading that that goes involved in there. And yeah. it's, you know, we, we did some flipping of some apartment buildings, but not in the traditional flipping standpoint, okay. not of, you know, we kind of came in, we didn't rehab the building, but we knew that a lot of the leases were coming due and they were way under rented. Mm-hmm. So we were able to come through, do some minor sweat equity deals and then increase the rent significantly. And when you get in these larger buildings, it, it has more to do with the rent roll as far as the value. And yeah. so it just shot that value way up. We could either refinance and pull the cash out yeah. or we could sell it, take that appreciation and then do a 1031 exchange and kind of roll that money tax-free into something else. Yeah.
0: So are you still into single family homes or have you moved on and now you're doing more uh, apartment complexes and these bigger uh, bigger syndications? It is,
1: mine are, mine are fairly small. I like the multifamilies, but I like uh, kind of the two, three and four unit. Okay. Um, you know, so I've got a combination of single families, duplexes and triplexes at the moment.
0: Okay. Are you finding like a lot of investors, um, that first of all, they're really hard to come by. You've got to find things off market. Um, and then also, are you looking at, uh, you know, your ROI, um, you know, what are you, what is it, what's a good deal to you? In this market right now, currently, and I know it's, I know it's adjusting. I know it's going to be shifting here. But like, if one was presented to you, what would you go? Okay, this is a no-brainer. We've got to take this one.
1: You know, anything that I can see that's kind of. If on the surface, it's going to be just a double digit ROI somewhere in that 10 to 11%,
0: um,
1: it's a no brainer. Now, knowing that most of the properties that we're picking up, especially in my market, they're going to have some deferred maintenance to them. So that 10, 11% ends up shrinking down to six or 7% pretty quick, especially in that first year or two. Yeah. but that's really what I'm looking for. I try to stay away from that two, three, four percent, yeah, um, unless it's just an absolutely pristine property because I know that those profits are going to get going to get eaten into. Yeah, um, but everything is appreciating so fast right now that you know I'm looking at deals that I passed up a year or two ago, thinking that they were too expensive, kicking myself wishing that I just would have pulled the trigger and picked mm-hmm. them up because I'd be in a much, much better place right now.
0: Yeah, it's tough to forecast that though, because once again, unless it's under extreme conditions, we don't typically see the inflation and uh, the increase in property values that we've seen over here in the last couple of years, you know? So, and you're out of Louisville, right? Louisville, okay. Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah, right on my man. And so tell us about the market out there. I mean, is it still insane? Are you guys seeing a market correction yet?
1: We're starting to see it soften a little bit, uh, which is great for investors. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's still fairly, it's, if things are priced appropriately, they're still moving very, very quickly. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing appreciation slow down some, but it probably needed to be, I mean, Mm -hmm. we were seeing 10, 12% per year for a couple of years, and now it's slowing down to that where it looks like it's going to be a little more normalized than like a three to
0: 5%. Okay. Have you gotten any into any commercial yet? Have you done anything in that realm of uh, the real estate yet?
1: I have done a little, a little commercial, but it's, it's all been very, very minimal. Okay. Um, in here in our particular market, uh, if you want to have, uh, the short-term rentals, the Airbnbs, the RBOs, a lot of it has to be zoned commercial, yeah. um, uh, just, uh, due to some, some funky guidelines that the city's put in place, yeah. trying yeah. to limit the number of Airbnbs that we have. Yeah. Uh, so we've kind of gone that route, but a lot less of, you know, what you'd think of your traditional, um, uh, you know, buying a strip mall or warehouse or something like that.
0: What do you think of the whole Airbnb industry right now?
1: I'm really coming around on it. My business partner has been on it for years and it's doing fantastic. I actually just bought my first one. That was my 40th that I told you about that. I just okay. closed on uh, a couple months back is it is an Airbnb.
0: Okay. Have you, uh, have you considered doing the Albatross uh, version of Airbnbs yet? we,
1: it's funny that you say that because I was just having that conversation yesterday with my business partner. Yeah. Um, because an opportunity's come up where that, that may be a very strong possibility. Yeah. Um, and so we're, we're starting to run the numbers and take a look at it. I know it works really well in some of the bigger, um, kind of vacation markets. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, like if Florida, I was going to say
0: Florida is the one that just continues to keep coming to mind.
1: Yeah. Um, and I, have got a couple of friends that, uh, that are doing that down in Florida and they're, they're doing fantastic with it. You know, it's, it's hard for me to, I've been slow to adopt that, yeah. uh, simply because I like holding the, the asset. Yes. Um, but it's, uh, I, I just have to shift that mindset into the asset is, is the cash flow. Yeah. It's not necessarily the tangible building any longer. The asset is that accounts receivable that right. I've got.
0: Well, and I think just diving into it a little bit at a time, you know, it's not like you're going to just sell everything and go all in in it, right? It's like, hey, we're going to, I just, I'm going to put a little bit of money into crypto. (laughs) We're going to see how it does, right? So you got into, I think one, this is really interesting. I did not, I did not know that you were um, not in real estate before you started investing. And of course, obviously you had some great opportunities, but then you transitioned obviously into real estate. Uh, Tell us that processor
1: sure um so my wife was in real estate she was a real estate agent and it was you know I, as, as i said i'm working in the corporate world this nine to five and i'm commuting from downtown out to the suburbs every day and one day she said you know she's like it'd be fantastic if you had your license you could just stop and show these houses for me on your way home <laughs> so she wouldn't have to go fight rush hour at yeah. five o'clock yeah to go show a house and so i got my license part-time and between the investing and the negotiating side of it, I absolutely fell in love. Okay. Um, and so it was like almost instantly I was ready to to quit my job. But you know, I've got a I've got a great job, great salary, great benefits, bonuses, everything else. Yeah. Um so we we came up with a plan and we had about an 18-month plan of where I was gradually gonna phase myself out. And it was like every time I got to that point of all right, I'm gonna go tell my boss that today I'm giving my notice today. Here's my two weeks. Here's mm-hmm. my two weeks. Um, they would give me some sort of a raise or <laughs> a, a bonus or something, some yeah. little title bump, something that just kept me hanging on. Yeah, And I realized that it just, I just wasn't happy doing it. Mm-hmm. I needed to be working for myself. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I came in one day and the same thing. they said, well, we're actually, we're glad you called this meeting because we wanted to offer you A, B, and C. And I said, well, before we go any further, really appreciate it. I I can't, I can't stay. I'm not happy. I will give you eight weeks to make sure that I can help you find a replacement and train a replacement and do all of those things because these were great people that I, I loved working with. Yeah absolutely wasn't going to leave them high and dry, but I just, I I could not stick around any longer. I could not wait to get
0: out there and go into business for myself. Yeah. That's awesome. So what year was this when you got, uh, when you made that commitment? Uh, 17, 17. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. So it so... was actually
0: a close to close to this time in 17. And then I ended up staying through Halloween
1: was my last day in
0: 2017. Okay. And so 17 till now you've grown the team like that's Pretty dang impressive, man. I mean, was that always a vision? You're like, hey, we've got to grow a team. We've got to get to, you know, like we're going to do this. Or like, tell me that process. Because for those that don't know, you've got a team of 21 agents and yeah. you are not in production as much as you were in the past. I mean, that's a really quick turnaround to recognize that, you know, the growth of a team was important to you. It,
1: it is. Well, I mean, it's obviously scale is is insanely important. And so, you know, I I looked at this, everything boils down to math, right? Math is, math doesn't lie. Um, And I said, you know, I could bust my butt and I could kill myself and do a hundred deals a year. Yeah. Or, you know, I could find, you know, 20 agents who were just a quarter as good as I was, and I could have 4x the impact or 5x the impact. Mm -hmm. And then so when I started looking at what those impact numbers looked like, I knew that growing in scale was insanely important. Um, I have a business partner on the real estate sales side who is 100% supportive of that and who is, he's been a mentor and just absolutely phenomenal, yeah. um, who has helped me get to this point. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was in production in the beginning, but knew we just needed to find good, hardworking like-minded people, uh, who were out there just looking to make a difference,
0: looking to change lives through real estate. Yeah. That's awesome. Now is your wife, is she still full-time in it? Is she buying and selling or what's her position? Um, she helps me a lot
1: on, on the backside with some administrative things, but you know, we, we've got two young kids and you know, we, we made a decision a while ago where, you know, she came and said, They're only young once she wants to be able to spend as much time as she can with them. And we still go on some appointments together because, you know, it's we're that rare couple that we really enjoy working together. Yeah. Um, and so we'll still go on some initial appointments, but I mean, it, at the end of the day, it's it's primarily me out there doing the production and then obviously running and managing the team.
0: That's awesome, man. What a great position to be in, though. And, and I mean, so my wife made a decision to stay at home with our kids as well, too. It, just, it was one of the best decisions we made. It was hard. There's no doubt about it, you know, in the financial part of it to a certain point, but the the rewards of that have multiplied farther than we could have ever imagined. So, I really compliment you and you guys making that decision. That's that's awesome. It's been fantastic. Yeah. So, you one of the things that you are really good at is negotiating. You created some courses which I love the diversity of what you you bring to the the, uh, the 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 agents on your team, but also I know this is another realm that you're developing and you're going on there. You're going to actually really help a lot of real estate agents throughout the country. Talk uh, talk to us about negotiating, and then talk to us like the importance of that and what you're seeing as uh, as a lack of that in our industry. Well,
1: it, it's kind of it started with. I had several agents who asked me, what is, what is the most important thing that I need to be successful in this business? And, you know, they immediately go to, you know, is it, what do do I need to know about commercial deals or do I need to know about multifamily or single family or, you know, luxury or whatever it is. And I was like, no, honestly, it's not much different than any other industry. First and foremost, you just need to be an expert in communication. Mm -hmm. And that's really where the negotiation comes from is, can you be a great communicator and I'm finding that so many people now are so used to communicating digitally and electronically yeah. um, that when they actually need to have face-to-face conversations or over-the-phone conversations that they really struggle. Um, and this business is still a relational business. Yeah, um, it, It's getting more and more transactional with some of the large internet players that are out there. But at the end of the day, it's still a relational business. And so we've really started working on the communication piece of it. And I've tried to to simplify that as much as possible. So I had said before that I was in strategic marketing and data analytics in the corporate world. And one of the things that I was fortunate enough to be a part of was we, we hired a consulting group who spent millions and millions of dollars studying people and behavioral economics and putting people into these groups. Hmm. And what we found is that at least 40% of the people out there fall into this category of what we called simplicity-seeking followers, which means that no matter what they needed to do, but in an advertisement, if we ask them to do more than three steps, they just weren't going to do it. Yeah. They weren't going to take action. Hmm. So I've tried to do everything I can and I try to break it down into threes. And that's kind of what I did on the negotiation side of it because people ask, they were like, okay, well, what do I need to do in this situation or this situation? And I was like, you know, let's try to come up with something that's a little more universal. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, creating these little creating it in threes and some sort of a mnemonic device, I came up with the three Ps of negotiation. And it was, you know, started with being prepared. Um, And that came from an incident I had when I was in sixth grade in a very, very poor book report project (laughs) that did not go well that I had to present in front of the class. Uh Um, So always being, being prepared. And then there was posture. Little things that you can do, you know, especially when you're when you're face to face with someone, standing up straight, looking them in the eyes. Um, it, it's just displaying this level of confidence, mm-hmm. um, and then confidence will help you win more negotiations than than losing. And in, in looking people in the eyes, I found that there are so many people who get so uncomfortable with eye contact. Yeah, that. As long as you're not doing it in a, in a creepy way, but you're, you're working to maintain <laughs> eye contact and you're standing up straight, you're going to come across as very confident. Yeah. You're going to put the other person in a defensive position that is going to give you the upper hand in that negotiation. Mm. Um, and then finally, there's a, what I call project, um, which is just speaking a little bit louder than what you need to. Um, mm. and, and I go back to there was a conference I was at not long ago. And there was somebody on stage who had phenomenal information. I mean, what they had to share was fantastic, but they spoke very quietly and it was, they were, they were almost mumbling Hmm. and speaking very fast. And you could tell because they were so nervous Hmm. that everybody around me, including me, we were getting lost in the, the demeanor that we lost all all relevance to to what they were actually talking about. The content no longer mattered. Um, And then it was just their My confidence in them was immediately diminished just because of how they were presenting. And I said, and the voice was cracking as well. And so, you know, how do you prevent that? It's speaking just a little bit louder than you need to. Mm -hmm. It forces through one. You're, you're definitely not mumbling. You're not speaking softly. And it forces through any of those voice cracks that you might have um, that will prevent. Because the second that your voice starts cracking in the negotiation, the other side knows that they've got the upper hand and no winning.
0: Yeah. In,
1: in big real estate deals that we're going through, we're we, especially when we're not even negotiating our own money, we're negotiating for our clients. We need to do everything that with everything we can, everything within our fiduciary duty, to make sure that we're we're getting them everything that that they deserve. Yeah. And so putting ourselves in a strong negotiation position is is
0: by far the best way to do that. Yeah. I love it, man. That's awesome. I, it reminds me of Donald Miller. Uh, I, I'm a big story brand guy and he always talks about, you know, everything needs to come in threes. And yeah, once you do that, if you, if you, if you can't articulate things, communicate ways in, in threes, then the brain shuts it off and the frame and the brain just gets depleted and exhausted and you're not going to get your message. So, uh, I, I think it's brilliant that you've uh, decided to stay within that three frame. You've got a lot of agents What do you? What is the defining thing as an agent? Like, what helps an agent become successful? You've obviously trained new ones, young ones. You've probably trained ones that have come over from different uh, companies that haven't that weren't having the success. What do you think it is that defines or that helps a real estate agent become successful in any market that we that we're in?
1: So, for real estate specific, I I tell my new agents there's three things that we really focus on, especially in the first 12 to 24 months. Um, Number one is uh, nurturing and growing your sphere of influence, Mm -hmm. because those are going to be the people who are there to who are going to be supporting you, who are going to be providing the referrals. Um, They're the ones that are going to help you succeed. You're absolutely going to need them in your corner, Um, but you have to do it in a way that's not. That one isn't sleazy and two isn't so over the top in your face. Every time you, you know, you see your aunt or your cousin, that's like, Hey, do you, who are the three to five people that, you know, they're going to buy or sell real estate in the next six to 12 months. Right. I, I never wanted my family to avoid my phone call or to see my name pop up on their caller ID. And they're like, Oh geez, what does he want? Now? Wow. You know, <laughs> I, I don't have any more referrals to get it Yeah. So we we specifically work on that of how do we grow, nurture our sphere of influence um, so that it's actually working for us. Um, number two, we're constantly upping our skills and upping our game to compete in today's market
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, because there are a lot of agents who are who are stuck on tactics that were popular or successful, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago and not only does 10 15 20 years ago not work the market is changing so quickly that what was working six months ago isn't necessarily working today so we're constantly working to be able to compete in today's market Um, and finally i'm having all of my agents focus on working with investors um you know one it's a skill that most agents don't have yeah. and they don't choose to learn because I they think they're a little intimidated by the process. Yeah. Um, so you're setting yourself apart already. Um, two, it gets you in front of a lot of high net worth individuals. That's typically who invests in real estate. Sure. And three, as the market is starting to shift and to soften, investors are the ones that keep you fed when the market gets slow. Yeah. Um, even when the market was hot the last couple of years, Things always slow down during the holidays. Between Thanksgiving and New Year's, the market starts to slow down quite a bit. Everybody's busy, preoccupied, doing other things. But investors, they see that slowdown in the market as as opportunity to be able to come in and potentially get a good deal. Plus, a lot of these high net worth individuals are looking back. This is their time to reflect over the prior year and say, oh, man, I made more money than I thought I did. I need a couple of quick tax write-offs before the end of the year. Yeah, Um, And then it's the same thing. If the market does take a larger shift or downturn, um, the investors are the ones who are going to be, who have been sitting back and who are going to be ready to purchase. And so if you don't already have that skill set, then you're going to be behind the eight ball. You're going to be, it's going to be slower. You're not going to have the right context or the right, uh, the right knowledge base to be able to go out and win in that particular market.
0: Yeah, I love it. I, I really think it's brilliant that that is some an area that you're focusing on, and I'll just I want to go a little bit deeper on that because I think not only does it put you in the room with those that are the movers and shakers, I think that's a great opportunity, but it's also a great opportunity for you to bring value to your sphere of influence. Right? You just you, you know talked about it. Where listen, you don't want to be known as that guy, and we all know that guy. We all we all have that uncle, or we have that friend where you're just like, dude, like, please stop trying to sell me something (laughs) timeshares or another, you know, pyramid scheme, right? Like, like, please don't, I don't want it anymore. Right. Being able to get in and, and develop and grow in another area in real estate, I think is absolutely brilliant. Plus one of the things that we talk all the time with our agents as well too, is that, you know, your like your first phone call shouldn't always be to your client. It should be to your banker right? Because you as an agent, and you've been, you've proved this, right? That you are creating wealth in your life by the investment opportunities that you are seizing. And, you know, uh, if you, and if you look at the cycle of that, man, you've sold 27 properties, you've flipped, you know, you flipped those into other properties and it's gained traction in your life. You can do that personally, but you can also partner and do that with other people as well too. And I, I if you want to create true wealth in your life, that's one of the really great ways that you can do it.
1: Oh, you have hit the nail on the head. And it's, that's another thing that I, I tell my agents out there. I was like, being around these investors, you are going to pick up so much for your own personal bank account, Yeah, right? I encourage them all to be investors themselves. Um, you know, it's... I liken it to a CEO of a fortune 500 company who a lot of their compensation and retirement is tied up in company stock. yeah um, you know not all of it. you don't want to put yeah. all your eggs in that basket, but that's what they know that's yeah. what they're a part of. that's what they live in on a daily basis. That is this for real estate yeah and there is no better way to gather that appreciation, cash flow, and tax benefits yes every single year these agents and you've got the inside track to it. And so working with these investors, I have picked up so much knowledge and information and things that I didn't even realize were legal possible or deals that were out there just by hanging around these investors.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the things I want to just, I want to get into too, because, uh, I think this is really important for people to hear is that, you know, you've continued to pivot, you've continued to grow yourself and you've, you've been able to find niches in, in the markets and that's, what's really helped you become successful. You, you have seen a niche, you've seen a need, uh, with our education, you've seen a need, uh, with once again, negotiations, tell us about your new venture and, and, you know, to tell us a process. Cause I think one of the things that's really cool is when a business owner, or an entrepreneur sees a need and they've got to start from scratch and they're like, okay, Step one is I got to write this down. Step two is I got to shoot these videos. Step three, you've got like, tell us this process in this next venture and chapter for you. Sure. So I will tell you that I am not unlike
1: all these other entrepreneurs that you you've talked about where it's like, Hey, I see a need. I see opportunity, but it's like, you've got step one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, all the way down the line. Yeah. And I would encourage everyone to just start small, start simple, because if you start looking at that big, giant list of all the things that you need to get done, you're, you're never going to have enough momentum to get through that list. Yeah. You've got to start just kind of ch- chunking through it. Um, but like I said, I've, been, I've worked with so many agents and I've helped numerous agents grow their business to areas that they didn't even think were, were possible in a very, very short amount of time. And I thought this is information that I need to try to get out to the world. As I said earlier, I've got a passion for changing lives and changing the world through real estate. And so I started creating these courses, which, you know, a mutual friend and mentor of of ours, Sharon Srivatsa, has, uh, you know, he's been on me for a couple of years about, hey, you've got to put some of this stuff down. You've got to create these courses. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just, I, I started basically teaching the same things of what I'm teaching my agents here locally. And I found things that weren't necessarily market specific, that were just more on a global scale. And how do I teach this? How do I help other agents? Because there's one, there's so much bad information out there. And two, most of these agents are signing on with brokerages or teams that are promising them the world. Um, But really they're just, they're turning them loose and it's sink or swim out there. Yeah. Um, and, and they really don't have much to turn to. Yeah. And so I've, I'm trying to create different opportunities for different agents and trying to make it as affordable as possible so that they can go out and get the knowledge and the information that they need um, to be able to make themselves successful because it can be done. Yeah. Um, but this business can be very, very difficult and very challenging. If, if you don't have the right support system in place.
0: Yeah. Without a doubt. Well, I, I, I love what you're doing. I think it's absolutely imperative that as our industry continues to grow and shift and change, you've got to go and find the people that have really had success in it. And those are the ones you want to follow. Speaking of following both of you, know, you and I have a great friend, um, uh, in common when did you realize that you needed to surround yourself with like-minded people, but people that have either been been there and done that, or people that were going would were willing to mentor you?
1: Well, it, let's just say I I recognized it and realized it long before I actually took the first steps, mm-hmm. um, because it's I I understood that proximity equals power a long time ago. Hmm. I mean, 10, 12 years ago, but it's really been in probably the last five to seven years that uh, what always stopped me from, from getting, from reaching out to these people was just nobody wants to hear from me. Who am I? I'm, yeah. I'm nobody. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And no one is going to give me the, the time of day. But what I found is you've got to put yourself out there. You have to take those, those first steps and, I have been in some rooms that I can tell you I have no business <laughs> being in those rooms. Yes. Um, but it's simply because I asked the question, can I tag along? You yeah. know, and sometimes That's- it's it's paying for access, maybe paying for a uh paying for a conference or mm-hmm. something like that. But just you can't just go and be an audience member. You actually have to participate. You have to go out and make connections and meet new people yeah. because you never know when that next connection um, is going to lead you to something great. I mean, like we talked about our, our mentor, Sharon, I have, I have met so many amazing people through him yeah, um, and have put together deals with folks that I I never would have had any access to if it weren't just introductions that, it, that have been made.
0: Yeah. Well, he, I remember, I still remember this it was one of the best podcasts that I had heard. It was, uh, Sharon had come out with his podcast and it was his first one. And it was with Bedros and Bedros talked about, you have to pay to play. And, you know, people can listen to that and we're like, oh, you know, like, what do you, you, know, tell me, like, what does that really mean? But people are not willing to invest in themselves. So they have to pay The financial cost to it. Yeah. Are they willing to pay the price? Yes. Almost every entrepreneur will tell you, I'm willing to pay any price. I'm willing to pay any price. Okay. Well, you need to sign up for coaching or you need to go to this event. And then they go, Well, I just, I really can't afford it. And, you know, it's always to me, it's like, Well, you really cannot not afford to go. You like, can that's, afford not to do this. Right. Exactly. And I don't know about you. I, I'm interested to know your answer to this. Like once I w- once I had that shift, you know, my background with sports was like it was a no-brainer you had a coach. It just is an automatic thing. You always had you had mentors, you had coaches, you looked up to people, you looked at their stats, you you know, you admired them, you replicated them, you 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 did everything you could to um to not only do what they were doing, but try to surpass them, right? But then when I got into the corporate world, it for one reason or another, it didn't transition like hey, you need to get a coach. You need to get a mentor. You need to go find somebody that's been there, done this better than you before you did it and and sit at their feet. And it wasn't until years later where I was like, okay, I'm failing. Like I am failing and I don't know what to do. And I've got to figure something out. And luckily, you know, I I watched a couple of videos. I signed up for this and then I thing you know, but then it became addictive. And I don't know about you. I mean, like, tell me where you're at with life. I mean, is it, are you like I am where I'm like, hey, I cannot wait for that next conference. I cannot wait for the next opportunity. I cannot wait for, and I know I'm gonna have to pay for it, but I am worth the money and the investment.
1: There is so much power in live events. I mean, like just the the energy within the live events is yeah. just, it's absolutely insane. So I highly recommend everybody to get to as many as, as you can. But from a coaching perspective, absolutely, you need to be there. It's it, It's all about speed, right? I mean, it's not to say that you can't do it on your own, Yeah, But you can get there so much faster in coaching. And I know people will say, well, it's expensive. And yeah, it absolutely is. But if I use the analogy of, let's just say a a Facebook ad, right? And you're running these ads and you're realizing at the end of the month that maybe it's costing you $500 per lead to get or $500 Mm -hmm. per sale or per new client that you have to spend, which is Mm -hmm. very, very expensive. Mm -hmm. But if I came and told you, okay, It's gonna cost you $500 to acquire a customer, but the lifetime value of that customer is $575. You're gonna say, give me as many of those as you can, right? Because every single one of them is is cash flow positive. Yeah, that's what this coaching is all about. Now, it's not just to say go out and hire the first coach that you can find. Right. Um, and more expensive doesn't necessarily mean better. Right. Uh, do do a little bit of research on the backside, but you absolutely need somebody in your corner who's done it before. Mm -hmm. and who's willing to show you the way, who's willing to break down those steps and help adapt to your specific business and your specific set of circumstances. Yeah. it's, it's, it's imperative. You are hundred percent correct.
0: Yeah. And I think that there's an evolution in it too. Right. I, th- I think that, um, as a, as somebody that's getting into coaching for the first time, there's a lot of the, what questions like, what do I need to know? What am I missing? What do I need to implement? Right. There's a lot of those. And then you get that next evolution where you start going, okay, well then how do I do it? Right. How do I implement this? How do I remove myself from the daily grinds of what I'm doing? Right. But then what I've noticed over the last couple of years, it's been the well who do i need to know who do i need to be connected with right and then the last revolution that i have so far so i've got four of these right now and i'm, I'm excited to know what if there's a fifth or a sixth i'm i'm sure there is but the the fourth one that i've started to experience is well who knows me right yes. and how important that is and i've looked at how that has impacted and really literally changed the lives of people and their careers and it's been awesome to see a lot of the people that I've been able to network. Once they got that connection, right? They so they 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 got better, and they got uh, they got even more exposure because of who they knew. But it was always that one person that knew them, like that one person that opened up that door for them, is what mm-hmm. was the game changer. And that's the exciting thing for for where I where I I, I see myself at right now is like, okay, I'm willing. I, I want to pay for that access. I'm, I'm, I'm searching for that for the next, the next position.
1: You, you are hundred percent correct. And it's interesting. You say that I was on a podcast last week and the guy said something that is, it's so unbelievably simple and I can't believe I'd never heard it before, but we talked about changing the how to who just mm-hmm. rearranging the letters. And I mean, it's, it's exactly what, what you're saying there. Um, but, but talking about coaches, one thing that I had to learn when I was getting started with coaching is it's okay to outgrow a coach. Yeah. It's okay to let them go. And the coaches yeah. understand that too, but it's mm-hmm. it's hard because it's like you spend 12 months with this person and they have really helped you go from A to F yeah. maybe, um, but they can't get you to G, H, I, and J. And so you eventually have to let them go, but you have this personal connection and you have to realize that you're not firing the person, you're just firing the coach. And, they're, and if they genuinely care about you, they're going to want you To fire them and move on to the next coach that can get you to that next level so i'd say anybody looking for coaching don't be afraid to you know when it's not working any longer when you've kind of outgrown that relationship to go ahead and move on to the next coach that's perfectly fine
0: yeah well and i would also say this too on top of that is if the coach is not working for you it's not that coaching is bad it's the person that you're that you have coaching you really doesn't know what they're doing. And I ran into that situation. I The first one that I did when I made the decision and I didn't have a lot of money and I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going in, I'm doing this, this is going to be life-changing. And within six months, I'm like, okay, this sucks. He sucks. I'm not getting any better. I'm wasting my money. I'm going to get out of this. And lo and behold, it wasn't, I realized after talking to people, it wasn't that coaching sucked. It was the fact that the person that I had hired as my coach was not the right fit for me. So I would I would say I'd add that onto it as well with people too. So tell us about the next chapter in life. Like, what are you excited about? What's the what, what's the vision? What's the goal? What do you what are you uh, what are you chasing right now?
1: Well, right now, now that you know we're you know starting to as COVID is slowing down, who knows if it's picking up or not? But live events are are coming back. Um, I am doing everything I can to get up on more stages. Yeah, um, I feel it just, it, there is nothing like being on a stage in front of a live audience. Yeah. Like I, I know there are some that that is their absolute biggest fear in life. And it I, I'm a little afraid of it. And I think that's why I like going out and do it, but I love getting up in front of a live audience and I'm doing everything I can to get on as many stages as possible Awesome um,
0: over the next 12 months. Very cool, man. That's great, dude. I love it, man. Well, Luke, you've been uh, just a great, great guest on our podcast today, dude. I'm so grateful that uh, we've got a connection uh, with Sharon and uh, any parting words, uh, you know, we're talking to a bunch of entrepreneurs, we're talking to people that are, um, you know, striving for that greatness in their life. Uh, any parting words that you'd love to uh, leave our audience with? Yeah, just,
1: just get started. And if you're feeling overwhelmed with that list, I had somebody that told me a while ago, if you were feeling overwhelmed with prospecting, for instance, they were like, don't think about all of the calls that you need to make. Just do three things. Go open up your laptop, open up your CRM, make one phone call. That's it. Just get that ball rolling. He said, because Mm -hmm. nobody stops at one phone call. Yeah. But if you think I got to go make 25 calls today, you're going to do everything you can to avoid those 25 calls. Yeah. Um, but if all you have to do is make one phone call, it makes it that much simpler, but you have to kind of reduce to the ridiculous as, as Sharon says, and make it so unbelievably simple that you can't not do that thing. You can't fail at that point because all you're doing is something small. Just take that step. No sense being miserable any longer.
0: Oh, great advice, man. That is awesome. Uh, how do people find you? How do people follow you? Give us, uh, give us all your uh, social media websites, all that fun stuff.
1: Sure. Um Luke Andrews R E for real estate. Um that's Instagram, TikTok. Um, you can honestly I, I answer all of my own emails. I don't I don't have my VA take care of any of those. So Luke at Lukeandrews.us. Anybody can send an email at any time. I'll be the one that answers it. I love connecting with with new people. Or you can check out my website, lukeandrews.us. There's courses connecting with me on social, um, emails, all that stuff. Uh, happy to connect with anybody. And honestly, if, uh, in honor of your book, if anybody who's listened to the podcast goes to my website, if they buy
0: anything and use the discount code strike, (laughs)
1: I'll give
0: them 80% off anything that they want. Sweet. I think I'm going to do it, dude. I'm going to, I'm getting on there and I'm going to, I'm going to download and and order some of your stuff, brother. I'd love to hear what you have to say, man. So discount code strike. 80% 80% off anything that you want.
1: I'll have, uh, it'll be up and running here in the next day or
0: so. Love it, man. All right, man. I appreciate you. This has been awesome. And, uh, it has been such a great, uh, I, I love talking investing. I love talking strategies. I love talking growth and you hit every one of those uh, today. So thanks man for, for everything that you you brought today.
1: Been a pleasure, brother. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, guys. Well, hey, listen, you know what? The the price of admission here is you got to share this. I know that somebody out there needs to hear this message that Luke brought to us today. And uh, you know, hey, don't be afraid. Go check his stuff out. You're going to get a great uh, 80% off. Come on now. That's almost free right there. He's literally almost going to be paying you to download his stuff, to take his stuff. So uh, go do us a favor, check it out, and uh, go share this episode with somebody. All right, guys. Absolutely love you all. Have a fantastic rest of your day.